We are, uh, we're going through Ecclesiastes, and uh, the little intro every time is that Ecclesiastes is in the Old Testament uh, books of wisdom. So Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, uh, Job, and then a lot of people uh, throw Song of Solomon in there. And those are your Old Testament books that are giving you a picture of how to live a good life, the good life in the world as it really is. Uh, and Proverbs gives you these general principles that are normally true, but Ecclesiastes gives you the full word wisdom by saying those ordinary principles don't always work that way because the world is broken, uh, death is real, uh, seeming uh, chance, uh, the world is filled with confusion and injustice, and so uh, everything doesn't work night, uh, nice and tidy, and Ecclesiastes kind of keeps making you face that. Um, and so Ecclesiastes is saying to live, a, to live a good, wise life in the world as it really is, you have to see that this world under the sun, as you observe it, as you live in it, it's hevel, it's vanity. It will not offer uh, an eternal meaning, an eternal purpose to you. It will not answer all your why questions. Um, and so Ecclesiastes is getting you to see uh, the world as it really is and live wisely in it. Um, and what he focuses on in our next, in our next passage is, uh, is the reality of wickedness and oppression and injustice that is pervasive in the world. Um, and he, he's just saying, if you really will observe the world, a wise person has to say that oppression and injustice are pervasive all over the world. Uh, and so he's going to ask, will you see it? <clears throat> And what does it look like to not deny it, but to live wisely uh, in that? So let me, uh, let me pray for us. Father, um, <clears throat> we need your uh, spirit and your word to open our eyes to, um, to see and believe more than just what can be observed by our uh, physical eyes. Um, we need to know that there's a God that is at work, even behind the scenes, uh, that there's a God who uh, sees and will bring justice. Uh, and so I pray that you enable us to uh, join the, this preacher of Ecclesiastes in uh, seeing the world, uh, to long for justice, uh, but to live wisely in it. Uh, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, these are the sources I'm pulling from. Zach S1 is the main guy. All right. Here's our discussion questions, all right? <clears throat> We're going to take, you know, six or seven minutes. Again, the whole, we're going to read the text after this, but you're going to see he talks about observed that in the place of justice, there was actually wickedness. So he's saying, I keep observing where there should be justice. You can even think courts and other places that are set up for justice. He's saying, I keep observing wickedness. And then he's going to talk about how he sees oppression everywhere. And when there's oppression, he doesn't know how to bring comfort because, because the victims don't have any power. Okay, so these are his observations that he keeps saying, if you will really look at the world as it really is under the sun, he says you have to see injustice and you have to see oppression. So the two things I want you to discuss first is if that's how he sees the world, do you have any examples you have seen or you know of in places where there should be justice you actually saw or maybe even experienced yourself wickedness? Uh, or else that could be an extremely vulnerable question, so appropriate vulner vulnerability. But also... What about oppression? Uh, pre preacher says he sees oppression under the sun uh, and then sees that if someone is being oppressed and they have no power, 
he, he struggles to know how to bring comfort to that person. So I don't know. How, have you seen oppression? And how would you try to comfort someone that is really being oppressed? What would that look like? So those are the two main things. Um, and then uh, you'll see one of the ways that he says to live wisely is you have to believe that God will judge. He will bring justice. Uh, and so he's saying to live in a, in a world wisely that is full of wickedness and oppression requires belief in God's judgment. Um, and I just, do you believe that? Do you agree that believing in God's judgment is necessary to live wisely in a world full of oppression? Why or why not? So those people around you, <clears throat> discuss those three. <clears throat> I'm going to come back to a few of those. Take about five minutes. If you don't know the person next to you, introduce yourself. All right. So... Um, you're going to see, we're going to do uh, Ecclesiastes 3, 16 through 4, 5. Um, if you know, open a Bible, they'll be up here too. And he just makes these little snippets of observations in the world. Again, he's just wisely assessing the world. And then he's going, to, um, he's going to give some answers beneath his observations. We're just going to walk through his observations, okay? First, um, here's observation one. He says, moreover, I saw under the sun, right, the world, the world is, as we see it, uh, that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness, and in the place of righteousness, even there uh, was wickedness. So remember, this, this uh, Solomon-like figure, or Solomon himself, is saying he's inviting us to observe the world as it really is, and it's in all of its brokenness and fallenness and its beauty. He really is going to focus on the brokenness here, and he says, look, I keep noticing, noticing that in the places that there should be justice, there's wickedness. And I say it's a, it's a raw conclusion. Uh, he is saying that wickedness really is pervasive uh, in our world. Uh, and he, he's not just saying we should do justice and we should work for a better world. Uh, we can talk about that. But he, all he's, do, he's just observing the world uh, as he sees it and realizing the idea that there is a utopia out there where everything is right and everything is good and just, he's like, it's just not there. Uh, everything is twisted. Uh, pick a country, pick a time period, uh, almost anywhere in the world, you will find wickedness and injustice where there should be justice and righteousness. Uh, most commentators think that that phrase in the place of justice has a courtroom sense, right, where, where we really do think uh, justice. Um, he's saying, even in those places, I, I'll observe oppression. Um, and he's kind of saying, what can you do if the courtroom is actually unjust towards you? Where can you go? He's wanting you to feel that. So anybody come up with uh, observations? If, that's his, if that is his observation of the world that we live in, did y'all have any uh, stories or any places you've observed wickedness where there should be justice that you're willing to share? Yes, Ron. Hmm. Yeah, Ron was saying uh, when he's come into domestic cases, uh, he's rarely uh, seen the other side of that really uh, come out with justice. Uh, usually, it seems uh, one side experiences injustice. Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm not like this worldwide law expert, okay? <laughs> but I, I would assume... The United States in world history is one of the more just legal systems that there is. There's all these checks, checks and balances, right? All this kind of stuff. Wouldn't want to live anywhere else. 
And I've watched friends and, th- and others go through some domestic cases, and it's just true. I've watched uh, the person in the marriage who has the money keep going to court until they bleed out the money of the person they're going against and they can't go anymore. And it really ended up being unjust because he just, he, he was the breadwinner and so he just wore her down until he got her way. And he was, he was the one in the wrong, but she couldn't keep up. And, and the, the writer of Ecclesiastes asks you to feel that. And like, what do you do with that? Good. Anything else? Any other? That's a great one, Ron. Yeah. Yeah. Or even if the law itself gets changed uh, and it gets changed to the law could promote something that is wrong or, uh, or push down something that is, that is right. And if the law is saying that, you start feeling uh, the helplessness against that. Yeah, that's good, Lynn. Yeah, Dr. Kreger. There you go. Yeah, if his, if his dad was David, and David, you know, back in those days, <clears throat> although God did set up the system of priests, and, but there's a sense the king was uh, both the ruler and uh, the, ju- uh, the judge. And when David decided to take that power and grab Uriah's wife, uh, he, it's, you know, yeah, he did what he wanted. Uh, and it was in, unjust. Um, yeah, there's, a, there's an example direct that uh, Solomon comes from. Um, and so it really, like, this is convicting to me because Solomon is asking you to see the world as it really is. And he's like, if, if, if we never see wickedness and oppression, I think he's saying you might be living, uh, you might be living in a bubble. Um, I mean, even think, again, I wouldn't want to live anywhere besides the United States, okay? I think it's probably historically the most just place. But, like, <clears throat> I remember not learning this till like, five or six years ago. So, um, after World War II happens, right, uh, Roosevelt signs the GI Bill. The GI Bill is the thing that, <clears throat> for the first time, right, a lot of the population in the United States really wasn't able to go to college by World War II. And the GI Bill is what sends people to college, which enables people to buy homes, which is the thing that builds wealth for a lot of people for the first time. Do you know who gets excluded from the GI Bill? African Americans. And so African Americans that fought in World War II. So all of a sudden, this place of justice, 1.2 million African Americans can't get the GI Bill and start going to college and start building wealth. But all the white people who fought in World War II did the same thing. They get it. And that starts a cascade of results. And it's kind of like, what do you do about that? That created a system that was started out unjust. And, cre- right, and that started building. And, I, and I'm a product of that. And I'm, I'm thankful, right? But you realize like that really had consequences uh, 80 years ago. That's the kind of stuff that he's saying, will you see it? And will you grapple with it? <clears throat> um, and, it and he wants you to feel it so that you kind of have to ask the question, if wickedness is that pervasive, even in the place of justice, man, it sure, it sure seems like it pays to be, be wicked. sure seems like it, uh, it pays off to not care about justice. Uh, of course, he's going to end up saying no. But he's like, if you've never felt that, that, that it seems to pay off to be wicked, then I'm not sure you've seen the world as it really is.
all right? So he's inviting you into that, and his answer is, I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there's a time for every matter and for every work. If you remember right before this is when he talks about there's a time to live and a time to die. And so he's bringing back that scene that, that there's going to be a time for everything. And one of the ways, one of the things that he tells to his heart and he tells to us of how to live wisely is, is realize there is, God sees it. God is going to work it out. God will judge the righteous and the wicked. And in his timing, he is going to set things straight. He is going to intervene and he will, he will make it right. And he's kind of struggling with the fact, I guess the time is not now because <laughs> it sure seems the wicked still prosper and it sure seems the poor continue to be oppressed. But he's holding on to the fact that in the Lord's courtroom, everything is going to be made right. Um, so what'd you come up with um, in the third question? How... He is saying that holding on to the fact that God sees it all, that God knows it all, and that God one day will, uh, will judge it and make it all right enables you to live wisely in this world. Um, what, did you agree with that? Did you not agree with that? Or how so, how not? Because he's saying, if, he's really saying if you cast aside the fact that God is just and sees it all, uh, you're, you're gonna live like a fool. But if you embrace that, you will live wisely. Anybody come up with kind of how that might work. Okay. Yeah. Good. Good. Yeah, so it, it creates a sense of, um, you say patience? Yeah. Good. Good. That's right. Okay, prevents despair. How so? Good. Good. Again, yeah, Ecclesiastes uh, will take you to a place of despair if you don't hold on to the whole picture of who God is and how he's at work above the sun and how he's at work uh, in the world under the sun, even though you can't see it. And if you don't know that God is just and sees it all and will make everything right, I don't know how you don't end in despair. Uh, and so, yeah, it keeps you from despair. Good. Anything else? That's a great way to put it. Hmm. That's a really good way to put it. Yeah, uh, the story is not over yet. Uh, you're, we're all in the middle of the story. We've been told what the ending will be uh, in, in a lot of the fashion, uh, but we're in the middle of it. Um, that's a good way to put it. Um, and we all, we all live like my story is the center of the world. Um, and I forget that I'm a part of a bigger story. Um, and, uh, and even as God is writing the story, he never calls, he never calls evil thing. He never says those things are good. He calls them evil. But he does say there's a big story that he's writing that, is, that he is over that. And even the awful and oppressive things he is weaving into his story uh, and, and is going to judge it and one day make it all beautiful. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's not the end of the story. Um, think about, uh, think about uh, I think it's Acts 6 or 7. I can't remember. Um, ben Shaw probably knows. He's a pastor. Is it Acts 6? I don't know. Uh, 
Stephen's the first martyr, and he's being uh, stoned. Uh, it's kind of before a court, so he's being pronounced guilty, and it's actually unjust. And it's very interesting. As he is dying, he, he sees into, the, into God's space. He sees heaven, which is right on the other side of the veil, and he sees Jesus standing in acceptance of him. So he, he sees the real courtroom, the real judge, and he sees that he is being accepted. He is being smiled upon, even though the in, unjust court is saying you're guilty. And you know what it enables him to do? He says, Father, forgive them. He dies loving his enemies because he knows there is one who sees all, who will works it all out, so he doesn't have to. And he dies saying, Father, forgive them. Um, I mean, you know, fast forward, I mean, that, that, is, that is what made Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. so powerful, is he, he was begging people to not return wickedness with wickedness, uh, but begging them to know that the Lord sees it and then begged people to work towards justice, uh, but in a way that trusted him. Uh, it also, like, if God is the one who judges then I, I think it's supposed to enable us to realize, okay, God is ultimately the only one that can say what people deserve. He's the only one that knows the whole story. He's the only one that has seen all, that knows all, that seems from beginning to end. And so I can trust him with judgment. I, I actually don't have the wisdom to say what anybody deserves. And so I can get out of God's chair. Um, and I, and I, can, I can entrust him with it. But the other thing is this, because, right, the prophets say uh, to do justice, and Jesus is going to talk about seek first the kingdom of God. If the inertia of the world, if the story that God is writing is ultimately going to end in justice and everything being made right, all wrongs being right, uh, all, all, uh, you know, all of that, then any way that you work towards justice is working towards the grain of the universe that God, that God is writing. He sees it. it. It's actually doing something in, in this world, though it may feel like it's not, because that's going towards the grain of where God is taking this world. I, it's supposed to encourage you in living wisely in the places where you are to, seek, to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with him, because it, it, it's not nothing. It's what God is, is doing and will do in this world. And so, yeah, you can do your small part. Um, then he says uh, this, again, this, this Ecclesiastes here is pretty dark, okay? He says, uh, so I said in my heart, again, he observes all the wickedness with regard to the children of man, that God is testing them, that they may see that they, that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man, what happens to the beast is the same one. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath. And man has no advantage over the beast for all his vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust, and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes uh, down into to the earth. Okay, so he, has, he observes all the wickedness that seems pervasive. He also says this. He says, okay, I guess what God is doing is testing us. And by test, he means he's revealing something to people that otherwise they wouldn't know, right? A math test reveals whether you studied or not, reveals to you whether you know it or not. 
And he's saying this delayed judgment is revealing something about humanity. And he says what it's revealing about humanity is that we're not that different from beasts at the end of the day. Uh, He's saying, (laughs) he's basically saying that we can live in denial about the inherent sinfulness of man. But he's saying if you put humanity in a place where uh, justice is delayed, he's like, just watch it. Watch what humans do. Um, And he says there's two ways that you begin to not be able to distinguish humans from beasts. And he says, first, in, 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 in the role of kind of how greed and cunning and stomp on other people to get what you want, that works. We're gonna come back to that. That's his third observation. But animals have no concept of justice or right or wrong. Uh, they just get what, what is theirs. And he said, honestly, that's what hum- humans do sometimes too. All right, don't we say it can be a dog-eat-dog dog world? That I'm just gonna get what's mine and I'll step on others? He's like, that's not that different than how, than how beasts of the earth act. Um, and then the second thing is he says the other thing, and he's, he goes, look, if you just observe it, of course, Ecclesiastes is gonna talk about there's things beyond death. But he says, simple observation, if you watch a bird die in my backyard because my cat killed it, <laughs> and if you watch a human die and all you do is observe it under the sun, He said, you can't tell me there's any difference. He said, it looks just the same. They both return to, they both return to dust. Who knows whether, whether, you know, a beast goes down to the earth and a a human spirit goes up uh, to heaven. He says, you cannot, you cannot observe that simply by watching the world. And so it's, it's, it's pretty shocking, but he, he's pushing you to see that there's something being revealed about the sinfulness and mortality of humanity that, that, uh, that we have to deal with. And I feel like you can kind of watch the world kind of see that, and, but it's hard to stomach. So instead, you know, they say things like, well, it's the circle of life, right? They, you know, they try to put a positive spin on it and say, well, you know, at least your body turns to dust and fertilizes other plants as if that's real encouraging, right? But that's, that's kind of where you have to go if you're just going off of observation. Um, and so he presses in those things. Um, but he's going to say this. and um, uh, He talks about oppression. He says, uh, I saw all the oppressions that done under the sun, and behold, the tears of the oppressed, they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power, and there's no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead who are already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil de- deeds that are done, done under the sun. So again, if oppression is prolonged cruelty and justice, this is pretty raw, but he's saying it, seem, it seems like oppression wins the day a lot. And he said oppression usually comes with people who have power. How do you comfort the person who has no power and is being oppressed? He wants you to feel that. I mean, do you say it's okay, it's not that bad, things will get better. He's making you feel kind of the, the vanity of those things um, and, and uh, saying, you know, what are you gonna do in this, in this real world? Um, and so Derek Kidner, he says this, while Christians see further ahead than the preacher allowed himself to look, you should not spare yourself the realities of the present world that we live in. So here is 1028. 
I feel like we need a little bit of uh, comfort this morning. So here's what he says. Right? One more bad thing. He says, I saw that all the toil and all the skill and the work come from man's envy of his neighbor. So he said, okay, I'm going to look at the reason people do what they do. And he's like, man, most people are working out of envy. Most people are working because they just want something that uh, other people have, and they're willing to step on others to get it. And if you know, it, I can't speak for you, if I know my heart, I certainly, because look, if what matters most to you is being successful, then anyone that gets in the way of that isn't a person made in the image of God, they're an obstacle. And so you, you will stomp on them to get it or you'll want what they have, which means they're not a person made in the image of God. They just have what you want and you'll try to get it. You know, if what makes you matter is, is humor, right? Um, if that's kind of what's central to me, then uh, I've had to be confirmed on this, but then like sarcasm, it doesn't matter if it hurts you or belittles you as long as it makes me funny. That's okay, right? Because it brings me up in the world. If what makes you matter is people think highly of you, then you will not be able to rejoice with other people if they get praise, because I needed that. And it dehumanizes other people. And he's saying, this is what motivates people in the world under the sun. And so his answer is this. So here's how we should live. There's nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? And the fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after the wind. His answer is this, that look, <clears throat> the temptation if you hear this is to despair and to fold your hands con and consume their own flesh. In other words, like, okay, well then I'm done. I'm just gonna kind of isolate myself. He says, no, don't do that. You'll be part of the problem. Or, Two hands full of toil, okay, I'm going to try to then get everything I can, acquire as much as, as, much as I can, kind of frenetically uh, try to get everything. But that's, that's like my kids on Halloween, right? Give me as much as I can. And then they just end up with, <laughs> with a bunch of junk. And he says, you'll just have two handfuls of, of, uh, of wind. He says, actually, better is a handful of quietness. Rejoice in his work, for that is his life. And so he says, in view of all the wickedness and oppression and envy, the best thing you can do is enjoy the work that you have in front of you quietly and do it well. Don't fold your hands in despair. Don't join the rat race of getting what you can. Seek first the kingdom of God, which of course means working for justice. But realize there will be no utopia until Jesus comes back, but keep working towards it and enjoy your work with quietness. And that'll enable you to experience a little bit of tranquility in this dog-eat-dog -dog world. So here's this quote from uh, S1. When the unknown taunts your mind with the season you find yourself, give yourself to the next thing in the place you are. He's imagining that maybe your lot is to knit things. He says, knit, pray, knit, pray, eat, drink, enjoy your family, and notice the sun, give thanks for its light, take pleasure in its gift, God is near. This small way and tiny rhythm resemble the grand way of life for which human beings were given Eden, right, Garden of Eden. Our way forward, more often than not, is found where we are. So he says, look around. Uh, look what God's given you to do in your lot and be faithful in it. God will work through it, and that's where you'll find actual contentment. Um, I know that's not as grand as probably you hoped, uh, but in some ways it's kind of beautiful and it's kind of ordinary. Any kind of final questions, comments on that? 
That is a good word in on doing. He said, uh, sometimes you can look at the world news and be overwhelmed with refugees and all these kind of things, and it can paralyze you. Who was it that told you this? Oh, and Wayne. Uh, Wayne said, the theologian Wayne Irby said, yeah, <laughs> of course. Yeah, fish, pray. <laughs> Tie flies, fly fish, pray. Um, no, but he said, yes, but there's a thousand little things that you can do around you. Um, and if God is writing the story, he's going uh, to weave those in uh, and do those things quietly. So that's a great way to end. Um, all right, uh, 1030. Thanks for your uh, comments. This was a tough passage.